So tonight's lesson is on Daniel and the lion's den. Yeah. Well, okay. So if you were paying attention, the last time we did a lesson, it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it was at the beginning of Daniel. So you should have seen the writing on the wall that Daniel and the lion's den was coming next. But also, if you can think of the other major Old Testament story that we haven't covered, you can probably guess the one story that's coming next week. Without a whole lot of uh, assistance. But I'm not going to tell you. But if you remember, uh, if you remember like a, a month ago, it feels like, when we learned about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, we talked about how when Babylon had conquered Jerusalem, they took a lot of the, Jerus- the uh, Israelite young men who were able body. And they took them to Babylon to be their slaves, basically, to do the work for them and everything. So Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was another man who was taken from Jerusalem. He was an Israelite, and he was taken to Babylon. Now, (coughs) he had a good relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar, the same guy who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. But he had a better relationship with him. And, you know, Daniel became... Daniel became kind of a trusted advisor to him. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar uh, passed away, Daniel kind of was able to maintain his position of power. And, you know, Daniel, (coughs) I guess I should tell you guys, the way he got in the power with Nebuchadnezzar was that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream And he couldn't find anyone who could interpret his dream properly. And Daniel, being a prophet, if you know anything about Daniel, he he was able to see things that were going to happen in the future in the New Testament and with, with God's kingdom moving forward. Daniel was able to interpret dreams as well. And so he was able to interpret this dream from King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's how he got that position of power. And so... We fast forward a few years and Daniel, like I said, is still a high-ranking individual in the king's court. But now the king is a king named Darius, okay? And Darius was, he was either really lazy or really smart, okay? But what he did, basically the beginning of his entire rule as a king was he appointed lots of other people to do his job for him. So he made all these uh, satraps and emperors, which these are basically like, People under him, like rulers under him. So you can imagine it'd be like the president and then the congressman and the senate, okay? And basically, he was the king, the president, and then he made all the congressmen and the senators do all the work for him in the kingdom. So he appointed 120 of these people to be under him, to do his work for him. And he had three administrators, so I'm guessing each one had 40 people under them. So there were three administrators There were one step under him and one step above that 120. Now, Daniel was 80 years old approximately at the time. So he was getting up in age. And he was not only one of these three administrators, but he was also viewed as the top of those three administrators. So he was basically second in command behind King Darius. And this was because he was known to be a trustworthy man who worked really well and efficiently like he did his job really well and you know 
I think of, you know, I, I know some of you guys know all the different places I've worked and everything, but I'm sure all of you have experienced this if you've had a job for very long where there's one employee, and maybe it's you, maybe it's not, I'm not going to critique here, but there's one employee who like takes their job almost like a little too seriously, and they like do things like really, really like by the book and really well, and typically all the people who are like, oh, maybe we'll just say lazier, okay, they hate that person, right, because they're like, everyone's sitting here talking about how great so-and-so is because they're like doing things the right way, you know, and working hard, like what an awful person, who does that, right? <coughs> and so Daniel was this guy. He was viewed by the other administrators and the other uh, emperors and stuff like that as like the goody two-shoes who was working so well and so efficiently that he made them all look bad. And because of this, they wanted to come up with a plan to try to get rid of him. Like they were thinking, okay, if we can get rid of Daniel then this golden standard is gone and then we can just all be lazy together and no one cares. I guess that was their plan. So they come up with this plan to get rid of Daniel. And we're going to be in Daniel 6 today and we're going to start in verse 4. And it says, At this the administrators tried to find grounds for charge against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it happens to do with the law of God. So the administrators went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. Your royal administrators, perfect um, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put this decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. What's what's interesting about this to me, and if you know anything about other world religions, you know, and you don't have to know a lot about other world religions, to know there's one called Islam or Muslim or the people, okay? So in the Islamic faith, Five times a day, a siren goes off, almost like a tornado siren type thing, and everyone stops what they're doing, and they turn and face towards Mecca, which is their holy city, like Jerusalem is the holy city for Christianity. They turn and face towards Mecca, and they pray. Five times a day, they do this. And it's interesting to me (coughs) that Daniel kind of practiced the same thing. Three times a day, he would stop what he was doing, he would turn and face Jerusalem out a window, and he would pray to God in the direction of the holy city, which I think is interesting. And if you're curious, I actually looked this up in Google. Northwest Arkansas is not far off from directly on the same latitude as Jerusalem. In fact, you only have to drive about five hours south to northern Louisiana. It's actually a town called Noble, Louisiana, which is kind of weird because I'm from Noble, Oklahoma. 
But Nova Louisiana is on the same latitude directly south of us as Jerusalem. So if you were to stop and pray towards Jerusalem, you would basically turn and face directly east, which is that direction. Okay, so if you were to pray towards Jerusalem, you would face this way and pray. Okay, that's how that would work. So maybe now that it's tornado season, we already have one last night. Every time we hear a tornado siren, we should all turn and pray towards Jerusalem. But yeah, okay, there you go. Anyway, so <coughs> I just thought it was interesting to see the parallel there between what Daniel did and what the, uh, the Muslims do for their holy city. Okay, so we got these men, the administrators, and they're out to get Daniel. And they use the king to make some bogus law that, that no one can pray to their God. They can only pray to the king because they know that's the one thing that Daniel will not do. They know that Daniel is such an upright and, and God-fearing and, and just this amazing person that they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And so they said, the only way we're going to trip him up is to make him devote himself to someone other than God and he won't do it and then we'll find fault in him. And sure enough, Daniel does not follow the decree, but rather he's like, and it's, you know, I would think, again, this is kind of the difference between me and some of these like biblical heroes. I would think like if, if the government said, you're not allowed to pray to your God, like if I was going to pray, I'd like close the windows and close the doors and be like, okay, I'm going to go in this corner of my house and pray so that I don't get caught or something. But no, he's like, open the windows. I want everyone to know that I'm doing what God asked me to do, even if it goes against what other people tell me to do. And we've seen this theme kind of throughout all these stories that people boldly live their lives devoted to God rather than living in fear. <clears throat> so Daniel does not follow the decree. Their plan works. And here's the tricky thing. The administrators knew how much that the king loved Daniel and they knew that, that the king would pretty much let Daniel do whatever he wanted. So if he wanted to pray to his God, the king would overlook the fact that he broke the decree. So they had to come up with a second trick to trick Darius. And so we're going to pick up the story in verse 11, where we just left off, and see how they tricked the king. <coughs> it says, Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and, and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. They said, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to their God or, or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance to the law uh, that cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of your exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said, Remember, O king, that according to the law, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel to throw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Okay. <clears throat> so these administrators, their plan has unfolded perfectly, right? They caught Daniel praying. And instead of like bringing Daniel before the king and being like, ha, we caught him. The king would have been like, okay, you're pardoned, whatever, go away. So they go to the king and they're like, hey, king, uh, 
you said no one could pray to anyone else, right? And the king's like, that's right. And they said, well, we caught someone who was praying. You need to throw him in the lion's den, right? He's like, yeah, let's throw him in the lion's den. And they're like, great, it's Daniel. And he's like, oh, crap. Like, I just told them that I want to actually throw this guy in the lion's den. And now I'm tricked into following this stupid decree that they forced me to put into place in the first place. And so Daniel is now said to be executed, thrown into the lion's den. And we have the administrators who are like super thrilled about this, right? Because this was their plan all along. Like they're like, yes, everything that we've ever wanted in life is coming true right now. But then in an instant, and I think it's interesting that, the king, that King Darius said, hey, if you're so confident serving your God, may he show you mercy, If you're so confident in serving this God and doing it despite what I say in the face of execution, may that God be true and save you from this. And I think it's interesting he says that. It's almost showing that King Darius believes Daniel because of the way he lives his life. You know, we talk about how the most impactful witness you can have for the gospel is not always going around telling people about Jesus. It's the way you live your life. And I think Daniel's the perfect example of this. He didn't have to tell King Darius about who God was. It was the way he lived his life devoted to God that showed King Darius who God was. And so King Darius says, may the God who you serve so continually deliver you from this situation. So then we get to verse 16 and things begin to change. So the king gave the order and brought Daniel and threw him to the lion's den. And here's this part again. Uh, The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own ring and the rings of all his nobles, and Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, so that he could not, and he could not sleep. And the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. (coughs) The king was overjoyed, gave his orders to lift Daniel out of the den, and when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. Okay. Pretty graphic ending, but yeah, have a graphic ending. Yeah, pretty much. So now in a moment... This story that seemed to be going the administrator's way is completely flipped on its head. And now Daniel goes from being the one person who's going to be harmed to the only person who's safe. You want to talk about a major switcheroo that even if you keep on reading, Darius turns around and makes a decree that all people of the land shouldn't pray to the king, but they should pray. They should only pray to and worship the God that Daniel serves. (coughs) literally with his faith in God, with his devotion to God and his willingness to not follow a stupid law that was made up about praying to a king instead of to God, Daniel turned an entire civilization 
in the direction of following God. You know, in my mind, and we just kind of started talking about this, this is an awesome story because it focuses so much on the influence that each of us have on other people. And, and even if we may not realize it, we may not think that we have that much influence. We may not feel like people care about us and who we are and how we live our lives. But it's so true that people are constantly looking at you, whether you realize it or not. The influence that Daniel had on the other leaders because of the integrity he worked with, it turned them against him, right? He influenced them by just being a good guy. And maybe it wasn't for the right reasons, but he had influence on him. That he also had influence on the king because of the character he had and the way that he worked. We see the influence that the evil leaders had on the king because of the power and the rules they made him make. <clears throat> and this brings me ultimately to the real point that we can take out of this story. And believe it or not, it's not that if you trust God, he will protect you because we've seen that storyline played out over almost all these stories. Which that is true. You trust God. He will ultimately have his plan unfold. But the point of this story is the way that you live your life is critical to your personal ministry and your influence for the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. The point of this story is that the way you live your life is critical to your personal ministry and your influence. For the kingdom of God. And honestly, I feel like this has been brought up a lot in my teaching lately. But Jesus tells us that if we follow him, that we're going to be hated by the world. Like, like Jesus actually says that in the Bible. And so we have a big reality check here. If you're not hated by the world you probably aren't following God to the best of your abilities. And that can be a hard thing to hear because like we all desire to fit in. We all desire to be accepted and to, to get along with other people. But in reality, as Christians, we're called to be above this world, set apart from this world. And so in reality, if you are not hated by the world, then you're probably not serving God to the best of your ability. And I look at Daniel in this story, and I imagine he was probably very kind and courteous to the other administrators. He probably had no hard feelings towards them. But because of his integrity, he stood with, and the character he had in his commitment to God, he was hated by them. He probably never did anything to them to make them hate him other than just the way he lived his life. And that's what we're talking about. He was hated by the world because of how devoted he was to God. He didn't do anything to make them hate him. They just hated him because he was devoted to God. And, and all these things <coughs> you hear said about Christians today were probably said about him. I, I hear people say all the time that, oh, Christians are so arrogant. They think they're better than everyone else. Christians are so judgmental about the way that other people live their lives. All these things you hear about Christians today, they were probably saying about Daniel, they were probably saying, oh, Daniel is so arrogant. He thinks he's better than everyone else. He's so judgmental. He lives so 
high and like, oh, I'm Daniel, I do everything right. And he looks at the same thing that our world today says about Christians was said about Daniel back then. And I truly believe that they felt that making him break the king's decree would in a way free the king of the admiration that he looked on with Daniel. They thought like, oh, the king loves Daniel so much that if we make him break the law, the king will start disliking him like we dislike him. But when they saw that the king's life was so influenced by Daniel's life, they knew that it would take more than just one deception. It needed a second deception. Because Daniel's influence on the king was so strong because he was such a man of character and a man of God. But I think the key part of this story is the king's reaction to having to throw Daniel in the lion's den where he says again, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. And then I think it's interesting because it says the king goes back and he doesn't eat any food. He doesn't do anything. And we realize that a, that a king who is not an Israelite is not a follower of God. He basically puts himself on a fast. He spends the night fasting over the pain that he's in over what he's had to do to Daniel. And I, and I have no doubt in my mind that the king had seen Daniel fast before. He had seen him go days or nights without eating in, in prayer for a situation or a prayer for something that was going on in his life. And so I have no doubt that the king was modeling after what Daniel had done in an attempt to try to save Daniel's life. And then he hurried to the den the next morning. Whether Daniel knew it or not, the way that he lived his life drastically impacted King Darius. Daniel, in a way, acted, or Darius, I'm sorry, Darius, in a way, acted in a way that he thought Daniel would act to save his own friend. So if Daniel had a friend thrown into the lion's den, Darius thought, what would Daniel do? He would fast, and he would pray, and he would rush the next morning to go see if his friend was okay. And that's exactly what Darius did. And I truly believe that God honored not only Daniel's commitment to him and the faith that he had in, in him, but he also honored the actions of King Darius. <clears throat> the fact that Darius requested God to protect Daniel and the way that he spent the night held up in agony, no doubt praying, without even saying, doing, or helping King Darius do anything to grow his relationship with God. Like, I don't think Daniel was sitting around going to King Darius, like, hey, um, are you a Christian? Like, I don't think Daniel was doing that to him all the time. Like, a lot of times we think, if I'm called to share the gospel with my friends or invite them to church, I don't think Daniel was sitting around going, hey, King Darius, do you go to church on Wednesday nights? What church do you go to? What youth group are you a part of? I don't think that Daniel was doing that. I think the way that Daniel was sharing God with King Darius was just by living his life in a good way around him. The way Daniel lived his life made someone else's relationship with God better. And guys, trust me when I say this, that can go the other way too. If you're seen as a Christian by your peers and you live your life just like them, you can make their relationship with God worse because then they're like, ah, I don't have to, I don't have to follow God to be a, a Christian. I can just say I'm a Christian and just do the things that I keep doing. 
If someone sees the, someone that they view as a Christian do things that Christians shouldn't do, you better believe that their relationship with God is worsened by that person's actions. You know, I talk, I talk a lot of time to kids that I view as leaders in the youth group. I mean, I've been doing youth ministry now for, gosh, almost 10 years, which is kind of shocking. But I talk to kids who I view as leaders in the youth group. And I view them as leaders because I see the way that other people watch them, view them, look at them, admire them, are influenced by them. And I'll go up to them, I'll be like, hey, you know, I view you as a leader in this youth group. I think you should try to embrace that a little bit more. And they'll go, I'm not a leader. No one in here is watching me. Yeah, they are. Whether you realize it or not, I don't care if you're a seventh grader or whether you're a senior. There's people watching you. Whether you realize it or not, or feel it or not, or think that it is true or not, as a follower of God, you're a beacon of light that people look to. And in reality, as Christians, you're all truly leaders and have an unmeasurable amount of influence on the people around you. And that's why it breaks my heart whenever I see people who come here on Wednesday nights and, you know, play the Christian game where they're like in worship, raising their hands and praying really good prayers and taking good notes. And then I hear from other people, they're like, man, I can't stand to be around them at school because they just like they just cuss and they, you know, just hang out with the wrong crowd and they do all these bad things. And like it's like, man, that's so hard to hear because. They don't realize the amount of influence that they have and they're wasting it by playing this Christian game. So the point of this story tonight and why we're looking at it is for you all to to understand and embrace this influence that you have. You know, we talk all the time about inviting your friends to church or sharing the gospel with your friends. And man, the easiest way to do that is to just Be a follower of God, to be a good example of being a Christian in the life of those around you. So that when someone goes, and and I can't tell you how many times this would happen to me, and this isn't isn't like a brag moment or anything, because I definitely have my own flaws, and there's areas where I am not a great example to other people around me. But there were so many times that in high school or college, people that I didn't have a good relationship with me, or that I didn't have a good personal relationship with would come up and they'd be like, Hey, you're a Christian. Can we ask you a question about something that's going on in our life? And I mean, that is so like rewarding to me that someone just saw the way I'm living my life. And I got to be able to speak personally to and have a, and have a direct influence on their life because of the indirect influence I had on their life just by the way that I lived my life. I think a lot of times we, we don't view our life outside of church as the most impart, important part of our spiritual walk. You know, we're like, okay, I'm in church on Sunday, I'm in church on Wednesday, I read my Bible, you know, a couple times a week. That's good enough, right? I don't need to be a Christian while I'm at school or while I'm at work or whatever. 
Be a follower of God all the time. Be an example of God all the time. Whether you're at home and the way you interact with your parents or step-parents or aunts, uncles, grandparents, whatever. Be an example of Christ then. Be an example of Christ when you're on your sports team or in your band or in whatever club or organization you're in. When everyone else is doing things that you know they shouldn't do, you don't need to go around calling them out for it. But be the person that when they look, they go, you're different for some reason. When you're at school, hanging out with your friends, be the person who is viewed as the Christian person. And it, it may be, they may dislike you or pick on you because you're a goody two-shoes or whatever. But remember those words that Jesus said, if you're hated by the world, they, the world will hate you because they hated me first. So if you're hated by the world, know that it's probably because you're following God in the way that you should. Daniel in the lion's den, kind of quirky story. Seems like it's all about Daniel's faith. Like, oh, Daniel trusted God and God saved him from the lions. But I think it's about so much more. It's about the influence that Daniel had on those around him. And how that influence helped to save him. Let me pray for you guys and uh, we'll be done in here. God, thank you so much for tonight. I thank you so much for the influence and the impact that we have on other people around us. And I pray that you would just help us all to be light in this world of darkness, that you would help us all to be people who follow after God and are committed to serving him and uh, loving, loving you, God. God, we love you. We pray that you would just help us all to, uh, to be those people, to, to turn away from the bad things of this world and the bad temptations that we have and to be people sold out to loving you and being devoted to you so that our influence can infect the people around us, God. God, we love you and we praise you. And so in Jesus' name we pray, amen.